thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sitson, Sivs, Captains, and Commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 109 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, February 26th, and made available for download Tuesday, March 1st, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Tony. And I'm Lennon. What do we have this week, Lennon? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we take a meteor right to the chin. Ouch. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favourite space sims has landed as we cover so much Star Citizen and a little Descent Underground before Jeff gathers mine and Tony's thoughts on achievements. The ship is out sick again this week, but fear not, because we have something even better as we bring you our interview with Eric Wingman-Peterson, the Director of Fun at Descendant Studios. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Alert listener, that other guy, seriously, that that's his handle, wrote in to warn us about a conspiracy in the works, man. This is big, man. Like, meteoric global killer, man. Questions everything we know about near-Earth objects. Serious questions, man. Like, if a meteor hits the atmosphere and nobody sees it, does it make a sound? Wait, no, no. What is the sound of one bolide exploding? Wait, no, it's... How do you even know we got hit, man? On February 6, 2016, a 6-meter-wide meteor struck the Earth with a force of 13 kilotons of TNT, just shy of the yield of the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima. This is the largest atmospheric assault of our little blue sphere since the Chelyabinsk impact almost precisely three years earlier, on February 15, 2013. The impact of that 19-meter rock was observed up close and personal by almost a million Russians who were then obliged to clean up after an airburst explosion packing the equivalent of a whopping 440 kilotons of TNT. Now, with that recent impact being two orders of magnitude lower, let me blow your mind, man, with this little factoid. It hit in the middle of the South Atlantic. Who was there? What did they know and when did they know it? What other meteoric impacts are they hiding from us? A well-respected, stodgy, proper, and straight-laced British publication known as The Mirror. Lennon will totally back me up on this, right, Lennon? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's what I thought. They noted that Phil, bad astronomer plate, was somewhat confused about the source of the data regarding the impact. Quote, I would assume the military sees most, if not all, events this size, but chooses not to report them for their own reasons. I understand the desire for them to keep their technology and capabilities secret. End quote. If one examines the Jet Propulsion Laboratory webpage, it states that it acquires its fireball data from, quote, U.S. government sensors. Probably some super secret moon base for watching for alien invasions, right? Probably not. A little bit of interneting and googleation will unveil the disturbing and shocking truth. It was probably one of the U.S. Air Force's geo-satellites currently in geosynchronous orbit as part of the Space-Based Infrared System, or ESBERS. Oh, come on, that's worse than just calling it Nimrod. 
Anyway, this constellation of satellites, the oldest of which isn't even five years old yet, is tasked with monitoring the skies for missile launches. With its hemisphere-wide field of view, spotting an atomic bomb-sized meteor impact over the ocean should be no problem. Now, if only we could spot these things before they hit the Earth. I do love the URL for this news story. neo.jpl.nasa.gov slash fireballs. Yeah, fireballs. Um, isn't this where we hear, play the Bond theme? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I mean, uh, what? What? what thund- that's Thunderball. I know, but still, I mean, it, it, you, yeah, never mind. <laughs> well, I want the. I want. You know, I mean, now government we need that URL. secrets, Bond, uh, never uh, fireball. No, mm, mm, mm. I don't know. If anything, maybe a little X Files. You know, the truth is out there. The truth is out there, and it's really kind of mundane. It's like yeah. they were watching for missile launches and caught a caught well, a so is the latest so Bond movie. It. I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the the truth is out there, and it's really kind of boring because some dude punched up a thing and sent it to NASA on a spreadsheet and said, you know, size there, latitude, longitude there, enter. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Good. But, uh, you know, if only we could spot these things before they made the heat. Well, you, you, know, you do know that explosion. we are impacted on a daily basis. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. space dust and meteor, you know, uh, nickel-sized meteors and whatnot. I mean, that happens. Yeah. And so this is, you know, another 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 thing. Yeah, Phil Plate, bad astronomer, another one of those places I kind of go to sometimes for, you know, inspiration for the Squawk Box. Uh, he writes a, a great column. Uh, his take on it was, I think, an impact of this size maybe half a dozen times a year and as high up as it usually explodes there's it doesn't do even if it was over a, a semi-populated area it wouldn't do any damage really at all it might rattle some windows the meteor that hit over russia was a lot bigger uh, mass wise and packed a lot more punch uh, explosiveness wise so that it, it really stood out and was a giant news story but this is the biggest one since then that has been observed and we were able to report on so and yet another reason why we should protect our atmosphere yeah. In sort of related news, did you guys hear recently that there was a guy in India who got hit with a meteorite and just died straight out? Yeah, I did. Actually, it did came across my little news blurb of him. Ouch. Yeah. No, I didn't miss that. So he did take one right on the oh, chin. Oh, he literally took it right on the chin. And he's like the second person since, I want to say, like 1400s that we've got records of that was hit by a meteorite and died. So, you know, somewhere on I, what, what I secretly hope is a bit like in Starship Troopers, on the far flung side of the galaxy, there's just this planet with meteorites sort of orbiting it. And some force has just propelled it, shot it precisely across. Just, just <laughs> f you, that guy. You know, just that one guy. Well, it's like that, that show that I, Lennon, you probably don't know it, but there used to be a show called Dead Like Me, and the main mm. girl in it he, uh, died by getting hit with a toilet from out of the sky. It's, it's the yeah, same astronomical. What are the odds? Yeah, what are the odds? Yeah. yeah, yeah. We can actually calculate this now because the amount of people that have lived between 1450 and 2016, it's probably uh, sort of one in seven billion, roughly. So there you go. Yeah, well, there you go. Now I have to go buy a lottery ticket because I really feel like my odds are much better. <laughs> yeah, you definitely will win the lottery before you get hit by a meteor. Well, unless it's one of these nuclear meteors that air bursts and like wipes out, you know, a Russian city or something. So, still, I think we should we should, we need to invest in some some better satellites. Let's see it before it hits. Or nuclear bomb-proof ticket holders. Nuclear bomb-proof ticket holders. Yeah, because in that way, even if it does explode, you've still got your winning ticket and you can claim everything. Oh, 
Well, all right. Assuming <laughs> the lottery <laughs> office survives. We have, to nuclear, we, have to, we have to bomb-proof the lottery office then, y- You will be the richest person in the vault. <laughs> have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the vault. Don't get technical with me. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for February 26, 2016. 109,140,000, up about 400,000. 1.289 million registered accounts, up about 5,000. And 935 ships in the UEE fleet, up about 4,000. And speaking of Star Citizen, first order of business, 2.2.0 has been released for the public test universe. This is not a universal release, though. Certain players are being given access immediately, and others will be allowed in over time. Big features of this release are the new Sabre being in flight ready, the in-hangar Jian Scout, the reputation system, the ability to have up to 24 players in a Crusader instance up from 16, and also, guess who gets an energy rifle? Lennon, what's this under my seat? Oh my god, that's an energy rifle! Oh my god! That's right, you get an energy rifle, and you get an energy rifle. We all get free energy rifles. Advocates of the PTU, as a genuine testbed, will be pleased to hear that this patch is messy. The installation post from CIG recommends deleting the user folder as a standard matter of course, and they are already iterating through the various bug fix releases. 2.2.0a, b, c, d, and e have all landed as of this recording. On top of that though, there are several known issues called out in the installation post, and then there's a separate post with separate known issues arising from the patches. Some of the more interesting bugs are... Certain ships in Arena Commander will cause the player to spawn inside the Broken Moon Terraformer. Crusader security AI levels are set to cover me, Borkins. Further patches hope to upgrade to get clear, Wedge. Using the hollow table in a Revelin York hangar can, on occasion, completely freeze the game. And amorphous red gold lights are appearing at random points around the stations in Crusader. So be on the lookout for weapons spontaneously turning into swords and takeover attempts by the Knights of Knee. So, gents, a, a massive amount of releases to the PTU this week. Yes, and even though I'm under the twenty thousand customer number, I didn't. I'm still not in PTU, so I have not got it yet. We, when they're iterating this fast and furious, I just stay clear. This is this is good, though. I mean, they're they're knocking it out and 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 nailing bugs. But I figure if I if I get my download going this week by uh, middle of week after next, I should be able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll you'll have you'll have the A patch, and right, they're already on right. the A patch yeah. by the time you get yeah exactly. Yeah, they, I mean this is I mean this is I mean what we'd hope to see, and they are they're doing it. They're they're putting out something messy, and then they're fixing it, and and. Uh, nailing the bugs that come up and that's really good to hear that that warms my my star citizen heart there that that really is yeah and the introduction of new features as well like the reputation system um which obviously ties into the bounty hunting mechanic it's good Mm -hmm. to see as well as just iterations on the space combat which they'd done previously it's good to see i think all these new systems that are slowly starting to come in to help build up the overall universe that we are going to get in the end yeah, and this this part, uh, you know, I'm going to bring this up because it might hint that I was wrong. Uh, okay, now I know. Don't get too excited, everyone. I know. Don't get too excited. But it's possible that the criminal system, you know, the reputation system you're talking about, with the it has different levels of criminality which invoke different consequences. I was hard pressed to think of a way or a reason or a need for that to be in Squadron Forty Two. 
as a first-person you know, campaign sort of a thing. Reputation shouldn't really factor into a first-person campaign, I wouldn't think. Well, not unless they're going to go the route of there are several factions and maybe, I don't know, if you earn reputation with the Admiralty, you can't earn reputation with the Pirates or something of that nature. But the sort of bounty hunting level of reputation, yeah, I can't see a need for that in Squadron 42 either. Well, didn't they say, though, that this is really a choice-based game and that your actions would dictate the way the, the game unfolded? Or am I just, am I reading something else well, I mean, maybe, but it just seemed to me that as time went on, the the story became a little more linear. I mean, I know there's going to be a little bit of branching and there will be consequences between missions, but with the removal of true co-op gameplay in, in Squadron 42, it just seemed to me like the story was becoming a little more linear. No, I, I'm going to have to go with you on this one, Tony. I, I don't really see the need for a reputation system in, this, in Squadron 42, and I would have thought that would be one of the last things they would have worked on unless... Unless it was Cord or something else that was needed in the Persistent Universe. I suppose there could be elements of the story in Squadron 42 that did require a reputation. Like, you know, like bonus missions. Like if you if you achieve certain secondary objectives and if you got enough of them, you were offered a special side mission or something. So I can, yeah, maybe, maybe it's something like that. I, I can't, it, it won't be a faction thing where suddenly everybody's hostile to you because you're in the military and if you don't follow your orders, you know, you could court-martialed and sent to jail game over would you like to reload but but maybe it might unlock things it might unlock a bonus mission or a side quest or something like that maybe so maybe i'm wrong but maybe i'm not wrong yeah i'm i mean i never meant to sort of imply that everybody would become hostile to you or whatever but it could just be that like you were saying it would lock you out of certain missions if you could like the pirates won't give you the mission because you're a very high up well in there member of the admiralty you know, whereas if you sort of played the game a little bit more and like balanced the line, you might not get a high level mission from the Admiralty, but then you'd have all the missions available from the pirates or whatever. So I don't think it would, you know, fully flick to a I, I can never interact with that faction, they're always trying to shoot me type thing, because, you know, there are limits on what would have to be. But certainly, like you were saying, the mission lockout or even possibly like reward lockout, or it could just be something as simple as if you have enough reputation with a particular faction, then you have access to their vendor NPCs, and you can either buy more equipment or or even or even with an NPC, you unlock a cutscene. Yeah, I suppose that you, could type have, of thing. you could have NPC reputations. Yeah, okay. So never mind. I I, I wasn't wrong. You, they do need this system for Squadron Forty Two. Thanks for talking me out of it, guys. You're welcome. So continuing on with Star Citizen news in honor of well, no particular event at all. The uninitiated can enjoy a free fly week with the actual released alpha. That version is currently at 2.1.2. For those keeping track at home, the patch was big enough for notes, but mostly minor bug fixes. For those more interested in longer term plans and behind the scenes info, 10 for the developers this week has lots of info on the Xeon Scout's technical makeup, the future modularity and the overclocking components, time to kill and balancing multi-cruise ships, and how Darian Vorlik accidentally angered all of Serbia. You know, the last time that happened, we had like this World War One thing, so I hope he's ready for that. Uh-huh. The subscriber reversed the verse set down with the lore team to discuss the stories and system histories being developed for the game. Nothing revolutionary there, though there are some interesting nuggets about the Xeon. Finally, Around the Verse this week has an interview with Francis Sinatra, who talks in a bit more detail about the new 2.2.0 features. 
It's worth a watch if you want to know how things are currently set up or if you hadn't got the 2.2.0 invite yet. Also, the often hyped about but rarely seen wonderful world of Star Citizen was integrated as part of the show this week where they interviewed one of the most prominent Twitch streamers, DJ Knight. And, in a bit that's sure to get the speculation fires burning over time, the studio update from the UK talked about their playtesters running around a functioning in-game Idris. Ooh. I know several members of the Guard Frequency crew who will be excited about that one. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that is very exciting. Uh, that apparently, hopefully, will be coming soon, TM. Did you see the video of the of the walkthrough with the Idris? Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah, no, I, I, it'll be revealing uh, once we find out what exactly we can all interact with inside the Idris. You know, what pieces of that ship are functional. Uh, I think that's the most interesting part for me. Yeah, the environment's cool, but I mean, environment's environment. It's, you know, it's, it's just collisions and art. But what do the pieces do? And can I get into that access panel or what does this shiny red button do because i'll be pushing all the shiny red buttons i'll every one every single shiny red button i'm pushing it oh, gonna do it that's how you end the universe i was hoping that there would be some mention in the 2.2 notes that uh they fix the use system but uh, i didn't see anything well i mean that's you know you know use there'll be there'll be something uh eventually but just getting everything hooked up and working first probably is taking precedence over that you know they've got to by the end of the year right december 31st uh, 11:57 p.m pacific standard time is what i gave until they've got to have squadron 42 out supposedly the first act is going to be taking place on board an idris corvette you know that you're stationed on so you know that that thing has to be up and running and relatively bug free before it gets released to the the blistering critique of the masses so it's good to hear that uh, here it's you know it's not even march yet and they've got people running inside a functional Idris. That's very good. Yeah, I guess it all depends really on, and nobody actually knows for sure at this point other than the developers, what the story of Squadron 42 is going to be and how crucial having a fully working Idris will be to that. Oh, it's got to be critical. I mean, just think about this, the sales pitch though, right? You know, it's a, it's a first-person campaign, but it's you're in that universe though, right? I mean, you've got to be able to explore you have to be able to walk around. You have to be able to, if you're going to do a story that has any kind of branching or consequences or something like that, there's got to be a place where you can ramble. You know, if you think about like uh, like Fallout, you know, there's a storyline, there's a campaign that goes through it, but it's littered with side quests and just, just tons of different other environments and problems that you can, uh, you know, get yourself into. There's got to be an element of that in Squadron 42, or else the concept of, a, of any kind of branching story is not really useful. Right. But. Uh, but, the, but. 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 Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> the, yeah. the difference with a comparison to something like Fallout is that Squadron 42 is episodic. You know, we're getting episode one, then two, then three, and so forth. We're not necessarily going to have to have all the functions of a working Idris in episode one which would then give them another year, 18 months, two years, however long it's going to take to develop the second episode before we require that functionality. My understanding, my understanding, uh, and again, you know, <laughs> with, with all the caveats that come with that, yeah. is that episode one is going to be the first arc. And then at the end of episode one, we're, we're getting transferred off our little Idris, and we're going to be in a different part of the story because the second part of the story is... 
I guess, taking the fight back to them or something, but taking the fight back to the Vandul or something. So I bet we don't have the Idris anymore. I bet that's where we have the Bengal. So I, I would say that it's going to be important for them to have the Idris completely fleshed out before the end of the year because the story is going to move on from the Idris at the end of episode one. That's my understanding of it is that this first part of the campaign is revealing the depth of the Vanduul threat and then arc two, episode two, the expansion disc, quote unquote, from the original uh, Kickstarter or the crowdfunding campaign, that expansion disc is going to be moving us on from the Idris. Yeah, see, now, if it was still sticking to the original Kickstarter campaign, I would completely agree, agree with you. But the fact that it's been said that, I mean, so much about the single-player campaign has changed over the course of the crowdfunding pitch anyway. And originally it was supposed to be like a, um, I'm just picking around numbers here, like a 100-hour campaign as a single game. And now it's being released as 10 10-hour mini-segments instead. So No, you're just wrong. Okay. Well, we'll see. Yes, we'll see. <laughs> Well, yeah, here comes another week of progress and updates from the Tunnel Dwellers down in Austin as Descent Underground continues its journey through Alpha. Hey, that's the same thing I said last week. I like it. We're going to keep it. New patch has been released, 1862. Uh, new ship, the Shaman, is now in-game. It has energy-based tools and will allow you to repair hull and shields of your compatriots. All the existing ships now start with new gadget loadouts and that depend on their roles in the game. Not all of them are fully functional just yet. A new weapon, the Frag Cannon, goes online. Destroyed ships will now go spinning out of control and have big explosions and whatnot. Uh, a new feature called Hover Bob, which makes the ships move up and down like in the original Descent game, which can be disabled. Uh, however, Hover Bob does not like to work with VR, so he doesn't, and he's been referred to HR to improve his attitude. Uh, more look and feel improvements, the icon shape, and some color changes for consistency across weapon and power-up types. There's also a new map maker's kit being released with some enhancement, like better definition for how power-ups are supposed to be placed. Some real-world news, the office sublease they were using has expired, and so they're all going remote for the time being until they can get a new space. And new player maps are going to be put in the Proving Grounds for voting on by Proving Grounds subscribers. I think some of this is what was done last week, but no, I could be wrong. Oh, Hover Bob's new. Hover Bob is new. Yeah. Hover Bob and his cousin uh, Rolling Phil. They've got that in there too. Hover Bob and Rolling Phil and Explosion Steve. Sounds like the worst band ever. Yeah, yeah, it, it's not good. Yeah, some of this has come up previously, but things like, for example, the Shaman ship. Is, it, first of all, it was in the design phase, then it was put in, but it wasn't accessible. But now it's actually flyable in game. So yeah, we have talked about it for a few weeks in a row. But it's been like the casual progression from this is an idea we want to run with right to we've now got the ship in the game. And same with the uh, the frag cannon. That's another one that's um, been talked about in development. But now it's actually there. Now you can get your hands on it and you can just blow the living bejesus out of your enemies. So, yeah. Overall, though, I think it's some good progress that they are making. And I like what they're doing with the map makers kit and that they're putting the new maps on the proving grounds and then letting people vote on it. Because, you know, hopefully then the most fun ones will always rise to the top. But again, it just means that they're going to be able to actually launch the game with uh, a lot more content, a lot more substance, and a lot more variation in maps. Because obviously the developers, each individual person will have their own particular style and flavor to the maps that they produce. Having outside influence just means that you get more unique map types. And in my opinion, that's never a bad thing. Yeah, the, the community production angle is big. And you know, spoiler alert, uh, Wingman is a big fan of that. He'll talk about that a little bit in our upcoming interview, which you will hear shortly. But yeah, this 
they're, the design philosophy that uh, the team out there has is a lot of heavy community involvement from the design stage up. A lot of feedback goes into this. They want people to test it, to blow it up, to work on it, to tell them what works and what doesn't, what's fun and what's not. I mean, and, and they'll do their own analytics, too, of, you know, what people are, they'll look at their own back end stuff and see what people are actually doing. But they want that back and forth with people. And the more folks that get in, again, Steam sale, everybody, it's on sale there, too. They want people in the game messing with it, trying to break it, and seeing what's fun. Well, now it's time for News We Didn't Use. Evercron Legacy hasn't seen a patch this week. Oh, just kidding. 1.0208 is out now. In Elite Dangerous, former federal president Jasmina Halsey's life pod has been found, advancing the Starship One storyline. Will President Hudson step down? Sean Murray, developer on No Man's Sky, tell us the chances of bumping into another actual human in the game are incredibly slim. Those in E-Valkyrie Alpha will get a chance to dogfight against the devs in a very near future. And paint packs for Elite's Anaconda are finally available, as well as new skins for the Courier and Type 6. Yeah, with the No Man's Sky thing, I was quite interested in this because apparently the total number of planets that are generated, that are unique in the game, I I don't even know how you quantify this number, so I'm just going to read them sequentially. It is 18446744073709551616 individual planets. That's 18.5 quintillion. There we go. See? You're good at the maths. I'm... Not so good at the maths. Wow. But yeah, 18.5 quintillion planets. So the chances of running into another actual human player, yeah, that's, you know, sort of, you've got more chance of a meteorite exploding in the sky, you've got more chance of winning the lottery, so, you know, it all ties into previous things. So there's no starports or places where you congregate and meet other players and... No. What kind of game is this? I mean, the game is primarily about exploration anyway, and it is possible to meet up with your friends. The way that it's been talked about so far is you have to research a particular type of engine, which I think they call the hyperdrive, which basically lets you jump to an instance your friend is in. So you can instantly jump there and meet up with them and then explore with them. But the chances of just stumbling across another human player are quite slim. So it really is the uh, five-year mission to explore the universe. Oh, yes. Very much so. To do more numbers uh, about this, the, I w- I've seen recently that people are scratching their heads because apparently the source code for this game is too small. Okay. Like it only has 600,000 lines of code. Like that's like not enough. Oh my God. You can't possibly try to run a program with just that. Merely 600,000 lines of code. Uh, mm, yeah. I don't know. I don't think that they would have got through the PlayStation licensing requirements if it turns out that it's not actually doable. You know? Yeah, a working program. I mean, I can understand uh, yeah. chucking it out on the PC because, heck, any idiot can make a PC game. Um, but <laughs> yeah. getting licensed for a console platform, that takes a certain level of commitment. So, And, and a certain amount of, um, shall we say, uh, uh, coerciveness Money. once you get that publisher. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a carrot and there's a stick and they're both employed right now yeah maybe uh it might be a little light but 
the whole point of that game was procedural generation. And so you start with a small amount of data and it turns into a big amount of data once a player actually observes it. We've tossed numbers around, so I thought I'd toss that one out there too. You know, some big numbers come from some very small numbers. Yeah, exponential growth, uh, well, as, as the name implies, happens very rapidly. Yes. So it probably is you know, completely doable. Um, another sort of news we didn't use, kind of sort of half-related, shameless plug, whatever. Recently, uh, David Ladyman and Ryan Archer, who are the guys behind Jumppoint, and David Ladyman's also got his hands in quite a few other areas at CIG, primarily the economy. They've just Kickstarter launched a game, which is called Star Traders, which one of our uh, correspondents, a, a guy named Kinshadow, I don't know if you guys have heard of him or not, that guy? I don't know, he's kind of minor player really, but anyway, he had a chance recently to play the game at PAX South, and he said it was very fun and basically it's a board game and I know that we're all about the space sims here, and you can't really play a board game with a HOTUS, so it's not quite... So Jeff's just tuned out right now. Exactly, yeah, I know. In fact, I was... Why are we covering this? (laughs) Because (laughs) what I I find interesting about it is David Ladyman the guy who is designing the economy for Star Citizen has designed a space economy trading simulator board game as a separate product but I'm wondering if this is a sort of crazy way of fine-tuning alpha figures that he can then just effectively port back over you know are we seeing a, a testbed branch out into a different medium here sounds like another conspiracy theory it does this is where we need the X-Files theme throughout this whole episode with just the truth is out there <laughs> Well, we'll put a link to that Kickstarter in our show notes for anybody that would care to jump in the fun. You should have about, by the time the episode is released, you should still have more than 20 days uh, to go check that out. Our debates are gaining international renown as they have been listened to as far afield as Belgium. So whilst we're still riding high on the international success... Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate for us achievements. I will give you each 30 seconds to present your case, and then a further 30 seconds to reply. As a result of a coin flip, Tony is up first, and Lennon is second. So, Tony, what is it about in-game achievements that are so great? Jeff, what's great about in-game achievements is that it gives an alternate way for players to progress. Some people don't want to go in for the space combat. Some people can't stand long-haul trading. Other people don't want to explore. They want to do something different. And in-game achievements lets people advance and progress in odd, unusual, or esoteric ways. Some people might want to take advantage of tiny game mechanics that don't give traditional rewards. Tony, you ignorant slut. Achievements, whilst I'm not against them in theory, I'm against them in practice because the problem is that they started out as something to, like you said, use the mechanics in interesting ways, you know, defeat this army of 20,000 people with nothing but a banana. You know, that's an achievement. These days, achievements in games seem to be all about, you know, press left. Oh, look at that, you've got an achievement. Now press right. Oh, you've got another achievement. What's that? You've opened your inventory. Have an achievement. It cheapens the experience overall. And your reply, Tony? Lennon, I think you've just made my point for me. It it is also used as a teaching tool. Give people tiny rewards for things that don't necessarily have to do with the mechanics of the game. It takes a lot of training and ability to be able to progress from loading the game to shooting down your first fighter ship. And so giving people a little bit of reward for that kind of progression is also very useful in addition to alternative gameplay. And your rebuttal, sir. 
Tony, you ignorant slut. Again, I can see the point of training users. That's the whole point of a tutorial. I don't get why there needs to be this instant gratification of congratulations, you know, little party streamers going off and little explosions and balloons get released to the sky. The whole thing for me with achievements is that, like I was saying, it cheapens the experience. The whole reason for doing a lot of the things that achievements get you to do is for that sense of accomplishment that you couldn't get anywhere else and I don't necessarily think that you need a badge to pop up on Steam or Xbox to confirm that. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for your concise and attentive debate. I I don't know that I'm on the side that I have a lot of passion for this week. I don't I honestly don't see the, a lot of merit to most achievements. I think that if they were used more to train people in, well, like like uh, we were talking last week with Descend Underground and Roll Points. You know, if it if you got achievements for doing those alternative advancements, things that aren't in the main path of the game, I think they'd be a lot more relevant and a lot more useful. Well, I don't mind uh, achievements except for the grind achievements. So when you have to go out and farm a million oh, different mobs, or worst. or those really, I don't think they're. I think they're just a, a stupid little time sink that the devs put in because they can't come up with better uh, content. And it, it, I think that cheapens the game, and I, I think it cheapens the character as well. Because, you know, the people sit there and talk about, well, I farmed uh, a, a million of this mob and I, I got this great little title to go, you know. Does it make it better or worse? I'll, I'll, I'll throw this to Lennon first because I think I know his answer. But <laughs> does it make it better or worse when you tie ability improvements or, you know, material bonuses to grabbing those achievements? So this might get a bit semantical. In that particular example, that would probably become more of a quest than an achievement, for want of a much better term. If you have some sort of level of advancement for it, then, you know, you are furthering the game, that's fine. But I think when all you're doing it for is to get a tiny little badge that'll improve your gamer score profile, that's, you know... uh, even those ones, I can kind of see why people would want to chase them. The sort of achievements that I really despise, though, are the ones that you get for doing the most basic of basic crap. And when it gets used as a tutorial, that's fine. You know, if you need to figure out how to do a double jump across a pit or whatever, yeah, cool. That's that's one thing. But, you know, getting an achievement for uh, talking to an NPC... You know, it's like if you're playing a particular type of game and you go up to a character and it says press F to talk, you know, that's your tutorial right there. As soon as you hit F, getting an achievement for pushing F just seems a bit, you know. <laughs> it's, 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 the partition, it's the participation medal version. Exactly, of, and of there are game. so okay, yeah. many of them. That's the thing. If you get right. one participation medal, that's great. It's a joke. You know, everybody's happy. It's all good. When you literally get them for every minor thing you do, like within the first 10 minutes of any game, 45 achievements are unlocked. That's when I think there's a bit of a problem with it. So, Jeff, what do you think? Tying, like, you know, a bonus to your hit points or, you know, a damage ratio or something like that, if that was, if you got that for getting an achievement, does that integrate it into the game or does that make it even, does it make it worse? Well, it depends on how you acquired the achievement. I, again, if you have to do a, a, a repetitive stuff to, to acquire the achievement, really, what does that say about the game design? So right. I, I, I don't think so. I still think that those type of achievements, regardless of what the outcome is, whether it's a title or a, something even more significant, is still lessens the game. 
And this week's community question. Achievements. Do they increase the fun and help you find new and exciting ways to play? Or is it too much instant gratification a bad thing? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. And now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's go talk to the director of fun at Descendant Studios, Eric Wingman-Peterson. Authenticate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher, a cipher wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. All right, everybody, thanks for sticking with us. I have with me here in the studio, Eric Wingman-Peterson, director of fun at Descendant Studios. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Good to be here. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, it's been almost exactly two years since I visited you and Rob and Jason and Mike down there in that B-town, wherever, Austin. BK. BK. Yeah. BK yeah, Austin, Texas. So what's new, man? You just, just hanging out, playing Nintendo probably, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're doing. That's what I thought. Nintendo. Yeah. yeah we're, we're, uh, all those people you named, actually, um, are now at the company making, we're um, rebooting Descent. We... We're doing Descent Underground, so we're bringing a we're bringing the Descent Six Degrees of Freedom game out of the so- Interplay sock drawer, and we're putting it, <laughs> updating it with new and modern gameplay elements and getting it out there. You know, when I lose things, I always look in the sock drawer. You'd be surprised; it's usually there. there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, let's talk about that game now. It, it didn't start out as a direct Descent sequel. No, it didn't. In fact, um, after we left CIG, um, we were like, "Well, what do we want to do next?" Since so we had a a team get together and we were like, look, we want to do a game. We want to start a company. None of us want to move to LA. So what, what do you, what do you want to do? And, and, and my, the one I brought up was Descent, obviously, because I, I think I can remember Chris and I, and, and we were making Wing Commander 4 playing the hell out of that game. And so I was like, man, nobody is doing that sixth off game. I've got a 16 year old son and a 12 year old son, and they don't have any idea what that is. And so we kept coming back to Descent. And so we started making the game and we were calling it Ships that fight underground, or STFU for short. What does that mean? Ships that fight underground. Oh, ships that fight. Oh, right. Okay, that yeah, I've never seen that acronym before. Or never, shut yeah. the front up. Oh, that. So, right. Okay. Right. Right. So, yeah, exactly. So we thought that was clever. I'm not sure how clever it actually was. And so we started making it, and we announced, you know, as as any Kickstarter you're going to do, you need to do a good job of building the audience before you go there and getting excitement built up so that you can have that big blip at the beginning mm-hmm. and we started building our audience we announced that we're doing the sixth off game we're doing a ships about underground and uh, it's a working title and then we got contacted by interplay and said you know if you're doing that why don't you consider doing an actual descent game and i was like what so, yeah and so, so they called you yeah they called that so literally we started well one of our fans actually hooked us up to be honest oh okay he, cool. he said would you like he was one of the investors in interplay and he said would you be interested in doing that? I go, yeah, sure. I'll talk to anybody about it. And then I talked to Irve, who's the head of Interplay still, and they own the trademark. And, you know, so we started talking and we negotiated. And literally, we had two Kickstarters ready to go. One of them was Descent Underground, and the other was Ships That Fight Underground. And so huh. um, the day before we went live, we signed the contract. So we were either going to use the fiction of Descent and build upon that with the original. We're, we're going to do like a, a prequel. We are doing a prequel. Right. But we're doing kind of like a Star Trek reboot where we're kind of ignoring some of the stuff and creating an all-new fiction around it to where, you know, like instead of James Kirk being from Iowa, he's from whatever. So we're doing the same kind of thing. We're rebooting the franchise, telling the story of the rise. Oh, I don't want to tell well, the rise of the drones, mm-hmm. essentially. Okay. Um, don't give away too much. Good. No, it's all right. It's our single-player campaign. And um, we, re- we reset the Earth and the future of how it is. And, and then we added elements like eSports. The, the pilots that are flying in space are eSports stars. They're... 
broadcast back to Earth because we've got an esports element in our game, and away we went. So Interplay contacted you. You guys had a, a discussion. The discussion basically revolved around how much, or if at all, you would immerse themselves in the universe they'd already created. But you already had something going yeah, the for yourselves. Not- game is uh it's we've, we've gotten more dissenty as we go so to speak right um, uh-huh. we were doing our own story and most of it is what i just described already and so interplay has the trademarks they don't have the rights to the pyro and the maps and some of the original things from descent and so we didn't have any of those rights and nor did we want to we have a trademark agreement with interplay to where we own all the assets we own everything about the right. game so that if if anything ever got sideways there they could cancel we could cancel and we could rebrand it as something else, so so it just it's sort of a nice relationship, a symbiotic relationship between the two of us, and and we, we're not beholden to the fiction or to the original story or any of that stuff that they did back in the '90s. And to be frank, 75% of our audience doesn't even the yeah. people that are going to be there and play the game are not the people I've, that played it. In the 90s. I played a lot of Descent in college, and I have I can't remember the story at all. To well, be that, honest, that's, yeah. it wasn't, yeah. you know, for some people that are real big Descent fans, it was huge. That was a big yeah. pro- prominent piece of it. But I think for the majority of people, they just remember the name Descent. It was really cool, and they had a fun time playing it. And so we're, we're thinking that we, are, we build off the core of the gameplay type that was created back then, the six-off thing, or certain things that you have to do that seem to senti. And mm-hmm. then we're going to take it in a new direction, take it, you know, up, upgrade it, so to speak. Well, I had so much more depth in gameplay. You know, the original Descent, if you try to release it today, it's pretty flat. It's just a, yeah. you know, shoot them up kind of. There's not a lot of tech trees. There's not a lot of roles to play. There's not things that modern gamers look for in first-person shooters, leveling up, things of that nature. So that's all the stuff we're now putting in. Our expectations were lower in the 90s. I think we can say that. Well, I think that the hardware was low, and I think you're sort of limited by what we could do back then, and you you could do so much more now. And and you're right, expectations have changed a lot. I mean, you know, the 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 90s, you can play a lot of those games on your phone now. Yeah. So if you want to, yeah. if you want to stand, you want to stand out and uh, make a mark and be something for five, ten, whatever years, then you've got to, you know, you've got to take it and and uh, and run with it and push the envelope. I, you know, I come from the Chris Roberts school uh, that you push the envelope as far as reasonably possible to make a good game. Well, let's talk about that that idea of of uh, staying power. Now, you started off that you said uh, taking some elements like. Uh, you know the the six degrees of freedom, almost like a core core PvP. Right. Yeah, the PvP shooter almost in in sure, three sure, dimensions. Sure. But the idea that it was that you're going to start with some basic mechanics and build out from there. Whereas other games say they like they're going to start with a story and the fiction and let that guide the development. Do you think that the starting with the mechanics going to a story gives you more of a staying power, or do you think that sometimes you know building the fiction first and then going to the mechanics? I think it depends on the game you're making. Either can work. I mean, we obviously had the fiction of the story, but the truth of the matter is the core gameplay works. It's fun. It's exciting. People like it. And so um, one, of the, one of the things we do sometimes as developers is we, we tend to go, oh, some people have done this. We're going to try something completely different. Not ever. You don't need to always do something different. You can take the kernel of fun and build upon that and everything that's, you know, it's like throwing spaghetti against the wall. The bits that stick are fun and they stay in. The ones that fall on the floor, you toss out. So, but you start with a handful that's stuck on the wall to begin with. So you've got to start somewhere with what I consider fun. So my, the way I like to build games, I want to find that fun first and I'll build okay. everything else around that. I want to be in a game I can feel like I'm progressing, I'm successful, I'm having fun, and that's the kind of game I want to build. So if I can find the fun and I'm having fun all along the way, 
then we've hit something. And with this game, to be honest, we were sitting around after a few months of development in the office playing the first map, you know, with one ship, and we were fighting with just lasers, and we were yelling at each other, screaming down the hall, and having a blast. And we looked at each other and went, holy hell, we are really, really onto something. So we immediately took it to RTX, and mm -hmm. we took two Oculus stations, and we had four machines up to play. They, they Before they even opened, they saw our game, and they moved us from a 10x10 to a 20x20, anticipating that we were going to be a pretty big hit there. And we had two-hour waits to play the game, and it was unbelievable. We had moms playing kids. The coolest thing for us was 12-year-old kids were playing that game, and they were loving it. They'd never seen anything like it before. So that's our audience, 12 to 30, essentially. It's going to be 70% of our audience. Now, I wouldn't say all the stickiness is there in our game yet. It's every day. Like, we're actually, they're actually testing a build right now to release... You know, being a live product, you release every week to two weeks, and we've got a build that we're releasing today, which adds like the ship roll, the death camera, so to speak. It mm -hmm. adds weight on the ship. It adds a frag cannon, which is kind of like a shotgun. It adds the healer ship, which is the shaman. We're starting to introduce the roles in the game, right. where now you play team-based games. There's reason to be the healer. There's reason to be the tank. There's reasons to be the miner. So all these roles are getting introduced. It's not just a shoot 'em up. Now we do have shoot 'em up only types you can play if that's your ball you know if that's your game yeah then that's fine we'll, we'll give you the classic mode and let you go at it but we want to add much more depth we want to be able to mine through back doors to enemies bases you know find secrets all that kind of stuff that is sort of expected like we've got a, a the goliath which is not in the game it's, it's in a secret area right now for some of our uber fans to pay a little extra to test in gray box levels and all this other stuff they're testing the goliath now which is sort of our hauler but who likes to play a hauler? So you've got to give it something to do, right? So right. the Goliath will be able to drop some of its uh, uh, body, and it'll become a mobile spawn point. But it'll also, you know, am I allowed to cuss here? Am I do it, man. Well, if we want right. to, we'll beep you if we need to. All right. It also will shit bricks, and so <laughs> it's like it's like Gold Rush or tailings, where you can actually shit a brick the size and, and fill up hallways. Now these are all going to be destructible because we've got destructible walls, yeah, yeah, terrain and stuff like that. But it allows you to build a base and to change the dynamic of the map in real time, and it changes it every time you play. So it makes the map different and more fun for everyone. So that's coming uh, soon, TM. Soon, TM. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. So let's talk about those roles, though. We saw that in, a, in an update a couple weeks ago, and I thought, you now we talked about that in the show. Um, we thought that was an interesting mm -hmm. twist on both people who are used to MMO type games or people who are used to first person shooter games yeah it's that uh, so you talked about the the Goliath the brick shooter, if you will uh, you, you you hinted at the shaman the healer that's coming out mining that's going to be a thing that's the auger the auger okay are there any other roles that you guys have sort of uh, in planned uh, yeah. planned well enough to yeah, talk about of Sure, sure. Let me let me let me just go through all of them essentially. So you start with there's like nine ships that, that are planned. We actually have a tenth ship, which is a cotton pit ship, which kind of gives a hint to where single player is going. But I don't want to give too much away. So we have the nine ships that, that are in the game right now. You start with the wasp, and the wasp is sort of a generalist. It can do a little bit of mining, a little bit of fighting, a little bit of everything. Right? It's kind of like your general purpose. It's like a fighter magic user. Right? Okay. Right. And then you have the you have the typhoon, which is the it's got wings. Uh, it's, if you ever saw the last Starfighter, it's got kind of a death blossom move that'll empty all of its guns at once in a big spinning attack that, cool. that leaves it vulnerable with no energy. And that's that's the typhoon. It's a really really weak armor, but really really powerful guns. All and right. you've got the Panzer, which Panzer in German is mm. tank, right? Right. It can absorb damage. It can extend its shields. It has a special move. Everything's got a special. All the weapons have special. So it'll extend it'll extend its shields out. Um, that will protect, you know, either a base perhaps, or a, or a, a cache of gems, or you know, or it'll, or you can go down a hallway, everybody behind it while it's absorbing the damage. 
Then you've got the predator, very, very fast and quick. The predators are scout. It will allow you to sneak into places, drop sensors, which give you quick amounts of radar for a while for the rest of the team. Gives you a little bit of advantage, but it's really, really easy to kill, but it's also very difficult. It's, it's armor's low, but it's very, very maneuverable and very fast, hard to hit. Then you've got the, uh, we've already talked about the auger. The auger's mm -hmm. the miner. It drills really fast through destructible terrain and and, uh, and really, really cranks through the mining stuff. I mean, in our game, you, you get paid for your your team's mining and the contract you're doing in the game, how, how well you're, you're fulfilling that contract. And you use those things for paying, for buying things for your oh. ship. Different wings, noses, tails, customizable pieces, stuff like that. And we have the tort, which is kind of our nod to the Pyro GX. It's very similar in look. It's a little better than the Wasp. But it kind of fits in that generalist category. Then you have the um, shaman, which is our healer. Obviously, it can heal both. Currently, it can heal both shields and uh, hull. We, we're going to have to balance that out. But you know, you can sit there behind ships and heal your team, and that's a big advantage. Now, there are role points giving out for, for fulfilling these roles, and so we have a ladder and ranking system. And so the best players are not necessarily ones with K to D, but are the ones that fill those roles better. Uh, then we have the warlock. The warlock actually uses ore or mines, things that are mined, and it'll create power-ups for your team. So it's kind of like the ammo guy who runs around behind you, give, you know, bringing you bullets in, in warfare. Okay. Right? And then we have, obviously, the goliath, which is your hauler, the brick that will also create spawn points. So uh, those are your nine basic types, and they're all based on roles that people like to pay. Some people some people like to heal. Some people like to be in the very back sniping. Some people like to be in the front absorbing damage. So, you know, it's all based on the psychology of how people like to play. And as, now that being said, we don't lock you into a specific ship. When you die, you can choose either role. So your team, you know, your, your team can go, we need more augers. We're not getting through. You know, that kind of thing. So um, oh, okay. it's, very much, it's very much built to be a team experience. And that team can, the composition of that team can change on the fly, so you can adapt 100%. to the other guys' tactics. Interesting. 100%, exactly. I mean, that's, of course. You know, we may, do, we may do a game type later that's more in the hardcore realm where, you know, we say, okay, you, what you get is what you get, and that's all you can be, but we haven't designed that yet. Well, that's, that's one of those things we'll get with the fans and go, okay, we want to do this. What do you guys think of this? You know, and then we'll, we'll probably test it in proving grounds to see what they think and you know, go from there. Cool. So uh, the roll points, is that uh, strictly for the, the ladder system, uh, or is the, are you going to tie that to personal progression somehow? It's personal progression and ladder, okay. both. Okay, both. So it, do you, uh, does it unlock further abilities? Like, you know, you're sure really good at... Trees. Okay. Absolutely. There okay. attached to all the ships. Sure does. Okay, so the, uh, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I play the healer a lot... And I'm really good at it, and I really enjoy you'll it. Become a better healer, and you'll get other. You'll unlock other abilities that you don't have to start. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, that's I'd like to say that's not something that gets a lot of attention in a lot of other games. So that, that's well, interesting. Well, I don't know. In Call of Duty, you get you unlock better guns. You you know you unlock. Yeah, but that's um, that's DPS, man. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I mean, every other game, the idea is kill more bad guys and get killed less often. But if you yeah, get but I points guess bad for. Bad Company 2 did that. I mean, you get rolls for assists. I mean, you get points for assists. You get you get points for healing people with your med kit. You get points for fixing up enemy tanks and stuff like that. So they all kind of give little roll points. They're, they're, I'm, they I'm giving you more credit. I'm giving you more credit. Okay. But. Yes, we're the ones who... <laughs> we're, we're doing a little more than they do. We're, we're, getting, yeah. we're making it a little more serious. But at the same time, you know, we've had some pushback from the community. Some people just want it to be kill to death. Yeah. Kill death ratio. And we, we're like, well... We will have that, and, and we'll have rankings that, that will be like, you can look up your ranking based on just straight KDR or both just kills and deaths, and then you'll also be able to say, oh, but our overall top-ranked pilot in the world is going to be based on you know how, how well they scoring algorithm that will take into account all the roles you play, um, the objective points, and then uh, kills to death. So it's not just straight-up kills to death, which will define who's the best pilot in the world. It'll be defined by an algorithm based upon all that stuff. 
So if I progress along multiple tech trees and also do a decent kill-death ratio, then I, that, that's a, that is a path to being the best pilot. You'll be, you'll be ranked, yeah, higher than somebody who just focuses on one, right? So the people that care about that, not everybody cares about that, right? So, but, but people that do care about it, like I'm one of those guys who likes to check out my ranking all the dang time. So <laughs> not, not, every, not everybody's like that. So, you know, some people will be able, you'll be able to opt out if you feel like you, you want to be, that's fine. But we use that, that also, we use that also for our matchmaking. That's part of our matchmaking so that we don't have, right now our game is still early access. So you get like, you can get into a match and get curb stomped with a bunch of really oh. good pilots. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. I'm raising my hand on that one. Yeah, yes, yeah. Well, yes, you can. That won't be very much longer. Uh, the next thing we're working on, actually, next sprint is server browser, so we'll be able to um, fix a little bit of that. You've got uh, community maps. Now, that, that, uh, that I think, is a unique feature. Uh, maybe not unique, but I think it's a, a prominent feature of, of your guys' game design. You're getting that community input in early and often. Uh, what else is going to be part of that community input or uh, maps, ships, what else? Well, what else are you thinking about? For, we'll start with maps. Um, we'll start with destructible terrain. We'll start with things that, that they want to see put in and, and things of that nature. Right now, everything has to go through us because everything's on our server and we have to make sure that we maintain balance. We don't want to do somebody put an OP something. Sure. But we do have plans currently to allow people to have their own small servers where people can log in and play their mods of the game. I mean, look, the mod community has been just beat over the Ed for the last few years, and, mm-hmm. and that's how Desert Combat came about. That's how Counter Strike came about. That's that's how Neverwinter Nights used to do this. The robust oh, yeah. mod communities are. You shouldn't be like trying to stop people from doing that. You should be encouraging them. You know, in, inviting them in, let them be part of the process. What the hell are they thinking? This is these are very talented people. This is the only way that people get in the industry. And so, I mean, I remember hiring the guy who's the lead writer right now for for uh, Oblivion Online, Win Win McLaughlin. Because he'd done two of the baddest ass Neverwinter Nights mods I'd ever seen, and he's a writer, and we hired him on the spot. And that guy has just risen through the industry and been amazing. And and it's a great way to recruit. It's a great way to to get a bunch of people that are that really are behind your product. You know, real mm-hmm. they're your army of ants, your marketing. We don't really have a marketing department. I don't have anybody that's a marketing director. We're we're just kind of developers talking to people that are. A playing the game and developing with us, and so, um, yeah, I, definitely that ships, weapons, they can suggest it, they can build one, they can submit it. We will if it's if we like it, we'll put it into the proving grounds for them and others to try out, and then we'll go from there. But they'll be gated, yeah, for sure, because it's got to be we got to balance it. But that doesn't mean they want you know. I, I would hate to be arrogant enough to say that we are the only ones who thought of something really cool to do. Mm-hmm. So. If there's something really cool and we get in the balance and it's, again, going to make the game better, then by all stinking means, we'll find a way of making it work. So someone might be out there with an idea for another role to play that might make the game overall better. Exactly. And that would be something right. that, yeah, okay. The, why not? If we could fit it in and, and it works and it doesn't kill our production schedule, and, you know, sure, why not? You know, final answer. Does it make the game better? If yes, okay. <laughs> so something tells me there's a flow chart. Does make better, yeah, yes. It. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so it's a very small flow chart, but it's there. If okay. Yes, proceed. If no, I'm sorry, <laughs> uh, So with the the nod, you've, you mentioned a couple times the nod to uh, the original descent and a little bit of a split of the IP, shall we say, between the uh, inter- trademark to the game owner owned by Interplay and perhaps some of the game assets owned by others. Speaking of. There is a another Kickstarter out there uh, for there the, for the game called Overload, which at this yep. point is 
just about 40% of its way to its funding goal with 14 days left to go as we record this interview. What does another dissent nod, uh, homage, shall we say, what, is, what does that mean for your game and a second one out there? I think that the genre itself needs a boost. Now, we took the risk and we brought it back. I guess there's also sub-level zero and... Um, contingency and there's a few others that have come out lately but what we need to do is reintroduce and reinvigorate the sixth off genre right i mean my god the consoles are perfectly made for that with their yeah. control schemes and everything and so there's a whole generation of gamers that have grown up since 1999 when the last one was released that don't even know what the hell that is and so my philosophy is let's do it bring it on let's you know because people don't just play one game and one game only you know they'll be like they'll play overload maybe and go man this is really cool we're facing bots we're enjoying it Let's go, oh, there's another one out here. Let's try Descent Underground. So a rising tide lift all, lifts all boats, baby. Let's let's go. You know, let's 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 bring the genre back. I'm pretty confident in, in what we're doing with our game. I'm sure they're confident. We're a backer of their – I was one of the first backers when they went live. I was aware of what, what they were doing. And, you know, we tried to work something out with Matt and Mike to see if they could work with us. But I think that ultimately, you know, they're kind of like in my position. They're, they've been doing this a long time. And they kind of want to do their own thing. And so I support – anybody taking a risk and taking a shot and i think that uh i wish them luck i, th I think they've got a bit of a haul though 40 percent at 14 days not, that's not easy yeah Somebody well like, trust me I've, I've been involved in three kickstarters one failed miserably one went through the roof and star citizen and this one is kind of eked over the line so um you know it's it's a you've seen all three versions yeah seen, yeah <laughs> Concourse Wars, you can look it up it's it's a it did not do well. <laughs> well, see, we, everyone learns from those types of things, though. Well, so that's, that's good. we learned a lot from the Conquest failure to uh, help with Star Citizen. So, you know, we're doing that. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, you know, the, you said that you, one of the things that, you know, got you in contact with Interplay uh, was your groundwork, your preparation for uh, for the Kickstarter. You, you, know, you, sure. you laid, you laid that buzz down first. We laid a little buzz. We put a forums up, gauged people. We talked about what we're doing. We, you know, we, we had a we had a little contest, uh, kind of a puzzle solving that Keith uh, McCormick put together. He's brilliant, and he did this whole people. It was a whole. We tweeted out a series of clues over 48 hours that allowed them to um, to figure out what we were making because we didn't announce it was going to be Descent, and um, it, it led to a clue which made it clear that we were still we were doing a, a descent reboot so it was a you know you engage the community you have fun with it i'm dude i'm a community guy there are no red ropes as far as i'm concerned i mean we're, <laughs> we're just people making games for people that play games and we play games so we're all one big pile of people so and i'm not arrogant enough to think that i know everything about how games are made or everything that's cool you know i, I want as many i'm a firm believer in taking a handful of darts and tossing them at the board and i don't care where those ideas come from as long as they're good and make the game better with the split of the IP and with people doing nods and, and stuff like that, and you mentioned the modding community, does is there are there red lines that you have sort of obligated yourself to draw because of your relationship with Interplay? Are there things that you're going to – have you taken on some obligations nope. now that you're going to do that we, IP? We completely own the IP. We completely own everything in the game. It's all ours. There's nothing in there that is – like, if again, if we split from Interplay or they split from us – we own everything. We can just rebrand it and, and go our merry way. So there is nothing in there that is holden to dissent other than the name. Okay, that's clean. That's 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 real good. So well, I uh, put it that way on purpose. That's why we're doing a Star Trek style reboot, to where we're doing a, a reimagining of the Descent universe. Right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're we're building from the current. You can't trademark the fun or the game type, but you right. can trademark assets and maps and 
um, or you can't copyright those kinds. And so because of the whole thing that you did, which we had no part of, we're making sure that we're safe in that regard. That sounds wonderful. A couple of community questions now, shall we? I think that's fine. Okay. All right. Now, the first one here, this guy's cheeky. Ken Shadow asks, what's Wingman's weight? Ah, dude. That guy. I know, God. Brian. I hear Ken Shadow's one of my faves. Him, Legante, and some of the others from, from back in the day. <laughs> um, Wingman's weight is not good. It's, uh, it's, like, it's, it's like 241 right now, just for the record. Oof. Uh, dude, I know. Thanks. Thanks for the reaction. I know. No, no, because I remember. I remember when I was down I there. Two eleven. I know. Yeah, you were, you were, you were conquering, man. I know. Well, I think the stress and the, you know, yeah. I'll get back down. We're gonna get on that bike. Uh, it's just, um, it's tough. <laughs> it's not no, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. To drink too much, man. Come on, let's be. <laughs> so, okay. So I just gotta dedicate some time to getting down there. My kids and my family are telling me the same thing, but you know, the wingman likes to eat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you were doing so good and I was down there and then we went to lunch at the barbecue joint. So yeah, so eh, yeah. 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 It was it was good. It was good. Yeah, I, know. I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> barbecue is on the diet. That's okay. I just need to go back on that diet. No. Yeah, you know what? No, screw it. You live you, you only live once. You only live once. Yeah, but you don't live as long. That's so I better, I better yeah. that out. Yeah, okay. Well tell Kid Shadow thanks. <laughs> thanks, Kid Shadow. Yeah, <laughs> All right, well, uh, next, we hear from Rent-A-Spoon, and he says, Seeing how far Star Citizen has come, do you ever miss working on it? Do you ever get to play it, or are you just too damn busy? Uh, okay, so two parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I miss working on it a lot. I, I especially miss uh, Chris and Aaron and, and the friendships and, and the people I've known, especially the guys that are in UK. That's my team I worked with on Star Lancer, like Jonesy and Derek and Phil and Nick and Aaron and you know all those guys over there, you know, Simon. All the, just so many people that that I really love and care for. Um, I miss seeing them and working with them every day. Um, I have not had a chance to play it as much. My oldest son plays it a lot, and the only reason I don't play it as much is because uh, the only machine I have that can run it is here at the office. So, uh, <laughs> and, and I have to it's play a beast. our game here at the office. Yeah, right, yeah. right. It's beastly. But um, And plus, you know, I kind of like to turn off when I go home in the evenings. To, to yeah. Or I try to. It doesn't always work out, but... But no, yes, I miss working on it, and yes, I, but more I miss the team, and I miss the community. To be honest, they're you know they're a much bigger community. They're much more into the critical mass section of things, and some of the mm-hmm. best people I ever met were you know when we did you know big wingman hanger on the road, or we go to Germany, or you know Citizen Con or anything like that. I had just the best time meeting people that were all about the dream, and Chris has been great at, at pitching a dream and making it come to reality. So yeah, I miss it. I miss it. It doesn't mean I'm not happy here, though, just for the record. Yeah, well, I mean, there's something about being the captain of your own ship, you know. I've it's... been that myself, exactly, I think. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, uh, the reason I, I – I chose the name Wingman because I was Chris's wingman. Yeah. <laughs> right? Didn't want to didn't necessarily want to be the man, but yeah. um, I have been many times before, so I'm happy to – I did, was on Conquest and other games, so I'm happy to uh, jump back in that role and take a shot. But this is fun. This is fun. I've got a great group of guys here that um, – are, are making something really special. So if we can reinvigorate a genre and bring it back to life and introduce it to a bunch of another thing and make it a hit, we're there. We've done something really cool. Is that just as a follow up on on that comment? Is that is that your definition of success? Is you know, bringing the genre back? Um, what makes it a success? Uh, God, that's a tough question. I mean, there's obviously financial. You know, you want to make money while you do this. As far as sure goes, you can pay for college for your kids, and then the freaking kids some. Greedy and they want to eat um, <laughs> all the time. So that's Teenage the males. Part of 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. Now, the, the, I guess the thing that makes it a success is people like what you're working on. That's the most important thing is that people you, you putting because every time you make a game or write a book or you know, write, write a graphic novel or any of that kind of stuff, you're putting yourself. Your team is putting themselves out there, and and you know you're putting yourself out for people to criticize for people to like it. So. As long as people like what we're doing, it doesn't have to be. It'd be great if it's a monster success and, and we're the next big thing. But nobody actually. That's that's really rare. I mean, it's Star Citizen is a rarefied error, and you know that'd be great if we get to be that big. We'd love to compete with them nine years from now. But <laughs> you know, we have a five-phase project in mind here, and we're just on phase one. So uh, if we can build ourselves a company and a job and bring it back and be a nice little hit. I think that's that'll be successful. You can making money on a solid single is just as much fun as making money on a home run. Although we're not averse to home long runs. Balls. Yeah, yeah. Chick, chicks, chicks dig the long ball. So <laughs> I've heard that too. Yeah, and that that in leather. Chicks dig. <laughs> right, wingman. The mic is yours, sir. What would you like to say? Wow, what would I like to say? I mean, well, first of all, thank you for everybody that's that's ever watched any of the crap we put out as entertainment. I mean, I've appreciated uh, every bit of people that have have supported us and been there along the way, and you know, have criticized and been part of the process. I mean, I'm shocked that anybody wants to watch developers. I don't understand the, the people wanting to watch developers. I always kind of think that it's this is this is a job for us I and mean, you play a really shitty game for about 12 months and then you finally it gets to the very end so um, I think I think the, the, the mythology or the dream of being a developer is much different than the reality but I think that that's that's part of the charm right it's kind of like the guy behind the green curtain in the Wizard of Oz I don't really know what it's about and so everybody kind of dreamcasts as to what that thing's going to be and it's not as cool as, as everybody thinks but it is very very cool to work with very very creative individuals in comfortable clothing. So mm. there is some of that out there. So thanks, Mike. All I can say is thank you guys for supporting us. If you haven't supported Descent Underground, get out there, www.descentunderground.com or descendantstudios.com, all E's and Descendant. Um, you can also find us on Steam Early Access. We're out right now. You can buy the game. I think it's, right now it's 33% off for the next 10 days. Um, Turns out people on Steam are fairly cheap, so you got to be on sale almost all the time. Yeah, uh, I've uh, noticed that. I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. We we want people there playing, and the key thing for us is the more people playing, the better off the experience is. So yeah, come check us out. You know, we, we have a good time. Get in there, get in the mines, kill people. You know, enjoy mining, playing roles, giving us your feedback. The game only gets better with people being part of the process. Certainly, help us spread the word. That's the biggest thing that people can do for us is help us spread the word, let people know if you're interested in space sims or first-person shooters or flight uh, games, come check us out because I don't think you'll be disappointed. We're a very fast-paced, fun experience, focused on anything. All we care about is, is the game fun. All right. Well, thanks to Eric Wingman Peterson, Director of Fun and Games and All Things Good over there at Descendant Studios. Thanks, Eric. Oh, thank you for having me. Now let's tune into the feedback loop and see what you have to say. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say it's contagious, others say it'll make you itchy, but all we know is that it's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Community question last week, open APIs for third-party developers. Best thing ever, or DOOM! And Taka goes airborne to say, in my opinion, APIs can be dangerous, but they can also be a boon. A well-implemented API can give glimpses into the black box of the game, allowing for additional functionality in a controlled and secure way. 
a poorly implemented API can end up destroying the intended experience for everyone. Also, I didn't used to be interested in hearing about aircraft in general, but you guys have certainly made it interesting to listen to. And I love the debates, even if Tony is an ignorant slut. Seo breaks the blood-brain barrier and says, APIs are just fine as long as they're made available to everyone. I don't think that data mining and meta exploits are good, though, and I think they take it too far. If the information you need to play the game can't be found within the game, then it breaks the game for me. Being able to add peripherals or manage your in-game assets from a mobile is fine and adds immersion. Oh, and maybe give the debate thing a rest for a week. Just saying, winky face. Hmm. Mm, well, you know what, happening. I think. Well, no, I think what we should do is... Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to debate whether or not we should have a debate next week. <laughs> Lennon, as a result of a coin toss, you'll be going first. Jeff, you'll be going second. Lennon, go. Tony, you ignorant slut, of course we have to have a debate. Uh, sorry, am I, pro- am I for or against? This is a surprise. I have no idea what I'm saying anymore, but I've got 30 seconds to talk, so instead I'm just going to sit here and say we are definitely having a debate next week, or if I'm against them, we're definitely not having a debate next week because of reasons. Time's up. Jeff, response. Tony, you ignorant slut. Well, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I'm for it. I'm for it. No, wait. No, wait. I think I, no, I think maybe we shouldn't do it. I mean, it is our listeners after all. No, no, damn the listeners. Full steam ahead. We're going to have a debate next week. Well, since I'm still an ignorant slut and both of you agree, I guess we're doing a debate next week. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your suggestion, though, Sayo. We appreciate it. Keep bringing that feedback back. Although, if anybody does have any topics that they want us to debate, feel free to write them in. You know, we will Please chat do. Yeah, about no, anything. Yeah. Yes, we will argue literally about anything. And Lennon always gives me what he thinks I need to talk about. He, it doesn't matter whether I agree with it or not. He just gives me what side he wants. Brickwall goalie tells the white blood cells to take off. One relatively benign use of the APIs would be for the type chat. Imagine a world where most everything is spelled correctly, proper nouns are always capitalized, and contractions always have apostrophes. All because everyone is using a tablet with autocorrect for their chat keyboard. Not even Tony could argue with that. <laughs> Wait, just about. No. That, no, you're right. I, I can't. But, well, no, actually, no, I can't. Here's, uh, here's How the can thing? you tell where the 12... Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I need that to tell who the 12-year-olds are. That's true. I need I need those misspellings. I need those. No, but it's quite easy because the 12-year-olds are going to be the ones who have typed things like, and by the way, I ducked your mother. <laughs> Ken from Chicago gets down with the sickness and says, if third-party APIs are bad, what of wikis, leveling guides, build specs, how-to videos, hashtag, you got mathed? Mm. <laughs> It's not the same when it's in the game. That's my that was my thing. It's in, if it's in the game, if you can yank it out of the game while you're playing it, that's my thing. Titus Gregor transports the antidote. Says, "Hey y'all, finally caught back up on episodes. Just wondering if I was ever gonna win my patch. The last show welcomed me with a surprise. Loving the new format. Keep up the good work. I would request Lennon let out a little more slack on runtime. He wants more of us, Lennon. He needs more of us." APIs require diligence, in my opinion, so the original creator's vision isn't adulterated to such extent that they abandon it. It's good Roberts has thought of how he can manage this in private world servers, etc. If I may also weigh in on episode 107 question, I would welcome some micromanagement. Rerouting power to bypass incapacitated, damaged sections would be awesome. This would also have greater applications to multi-crew ships. Aim easy, die hard. I must say, I don't know, do you get the tone that most people are for it or against them? I mean... It I seems think for like, it with constraints. Is well, yeah, and I, and I think there are always constraints. I mean, they, they don't, 
none of the games that I've ever played that had full blown or had APIs had full blown access to everything. They were APIs to specific data only. I've never seen anything that that's gone full out. Yeah, but where do you draw that line? Economy is fine. If it has to do with the economy, then you're then you're you're good. But cockpit data is not fine. No cockpit data. No cockpit data whatsoever. Is that the bright line? Today's space sims are really changing the playground, and our te- our own technology is doing that. Look at the tablets, the little tablets that we could have. I mean, we're already talking about a joystick with a multifunction display on it. Yeah. Also, I feel that uh, the other thing as well, a bit like Ken from Chicago pointed out, is that even if you don't have an open API in order to access this data, there are still so many third-party things like wikis and leveling guides and so forth. And the one thing that I found from experience of playing many, many MMOs in the past is that the um, the, the Chinese gold farmer market there will always be data coming out of them on the best places to go to level up quickly, to get the best gear, to get the quickest money. You know, all of this is going to be found out, and those who truly want to exploit it will exploit it regardless of whether you actually give them an API to do so or not. So you're saying I need to read Chinese? Uh, yes. Well, I haven't heard anything or seen anything that's going to make you a better pilot, that's going to make you a better killer, regardless of the data you collect. In the end... That's not going to be game-breaking enough to make you uber as far as the space sims go. And finally, Sean Newboy recombinates the DNA. Great fun, everyone. Keep up the good work. New Patreon subscriber this week, Brian. And the winner of a new patch is Patrick. And we just want to give a quick thanks to our friends Gary Magenheimer of Voice Attack and Paul Watson of HCS Voice Packs for donating those great prizes for our giveaway and congratulations to all of our winners. Stay on the guard for an upcoming announcement from HCS Voice Packs coming soon. TM. And a reminder of this week's community question. Achievements. Do they increase the fun and help you find new and exciting ways to play? Or is too much instant gratification a bad thing? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So, how was the show? Did we contain the contagion or did it leak out into an air vent and kill us all? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at guardfrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, you can shoot us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 109 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 110 on March 8th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our show's over on our website at guardfrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us over on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And currently our audio team is expanding. So if you've got an ear for what makes a great show, be sure to get in touch with us. Again, the email address is squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live show, as well as being entered into a weekly draw to win some guard frequency goodies. We want to thank all the Patreons who have supported us with their subscriptions week on week so far and hope that you consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. 
Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website, look under the call signs section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And this week we want to offer them a special congratulations because after... Uh, many, many moons of uh, trying to make this happen. They've finally been recognized by CBS as an official Star Trek fan site. You can check them out at StarTrek.com forward slash fan underscore sites. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist, Ben Saunders, and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writers, Jeff Grant, Jace Pentad, and Ken Shadow. And of course, thanks to our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. 6, 2016, a 6-meter-wide <laughs> meteor struck the Earth. You laughed. I did it right. You laughed. Yeah, but that's you not what the copy up. says. The copy says... I know. I fixed the copy in my in my head. In my brain, I fixed it because I wrote it wrong when I wrote it. But I'm so good. I got my broadcast glasses on and everything. And so now I have to go back and, and do it right. <sighs> okay. On February 6, 2016, a 6-meter... Dang it. <laughs> now you're in my head. Okay. Go, Tony. On February 6, 2016, a six... <laughs> Shut up! Man. How can I work it up? I can't work like this. This environment is just kidding me. I won't, I won't do it. I won't do it. I refuse. Oh, shut On February 6, a... <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> <clears throat> It wasn't even a go Tony. If it was a go Tony, I would have let it go. I would. I, okay. I'll shut up now. Okay. Good. All right. Here we go. Gentlemen, should your mission? Should you choose to? Ex- okay. Beep beep. What? You you stumbled on gentlemen. I am clearly a gentleman. Lenin probably is a gentleman. I find you both questionable. <laughs> you you may you may have Esquire after your name, Tony, but I don't know. Lennon does too. <laughs> no, he does. We went we went through this one night. Okay. Because you That's like true. were invited to something yep. by some duke or something. Uh, the duke known as the queen. Yes, that one. The t- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't even want to go down that road. <laughs> so, oh, oh. Whoops. Well, uh, Darian Vorlik just pissed off Serbia. I've pissed off you <laughs> Britain. Know, Britain. <laughs> uh, World War One really is being replayed right now. All right, and now let's tune into the feedback loop and turn off the goddamn phone again. Now let's turn into the feet. Meh. This just in. Jeff says meh.